Well, it's exciting to be here, and we appreciate the opportunity. We're looking forward to the return of Christ. And, of course, we got a little bit of time, don't we? A little bit of waiting, some things to do before that time. But yet, in our society, no matter how you slice it, no matter how you look at it, we witness a world moving rapidly apart towards the fulfillment of so many scriptures, the prophecy, what precedes the establishment of the kingdom of God. You know, we, we, we just can't fully grasp it. We can trust the great God. It could be a fearful time, but it could be a reassuring time. Nationally, here in the U.S., we're seeing so much infighting that's occurring in our political spectrum, political leadership, the coming presidential election. Some commentators believe this nation is as divided as it has been since the Civil War, and I tend to believe that as well. There's about 40% of the nation that consider themselves liberal, progressive, we may have a different definition of progressive, but anyway, that's one term. And also a little more conservative, though not conservative morally, 40% on the other side. And so many of them hate each other. Incredible. And, of course, we know difficult times are coming. We know hatred between the political parties is evident. Patriots, patients, parents rather, sometimes injuring their own children. Occasionally we read about that in the news. It's incredible. It's so evil, sometimes even killing their own children. Uh, Children against parents on the opposite side of the fence. We we hear so many mass murders. Why? Satan is so active. It is subhuman, satanic nature. Satan's projecting. It is subhuman. And, of course, we know there are so many other things happening individuals who despise each other. We are entering a very difficult time in America among nations. We know that's true for other nations too. But, yes, we are seeing the love of many growing cold. Not just speaking, not speaking primarily in the church, speaking of the world, outgoing concern, hatred between individuals, lust, we know the story, greed, vanity, jealousy, animosity, on and on. Mankind simply doesn't know how to rule itself, as we know. Doesn't know how to rule itself in peace. As Jeremiah stated, O Lord, I know the way of man is not in himself. It is not in man who walks to direct his own steps. Jeremiah 10.23 And sometimes we have to admit that still in our own lives as well. Sometimes we don't know which way to turn. We have difficulties, complexities. We need wisdom, understanding. We know of our own selves. We can accomplish very little good, but, of course, through Christ, if we have that kind of confidence in the great God, all things are possible, at least that he wants us to do. Despite this frightening mess in society, we are called to be different. And we know that we're called and chosen The chosen part has to do with receiving God's Spirit. That's what it means to be chosen. Called and chosen. Of course, step three is faithful. We're not there yet. We have a little more time. We have time to refine, to make some changes, to make some improvements in our life, in our character as well. And really the tremendous blessing that you and I share of having access to the Creator, Supreme Creator, Aider of the universe, guiding our steps along the way. You know, we all need that help. There are times when there confusion occurs, judgments must be made, and we need to rely on the great God. Sometimes occasional fasting, we know. Isaiah 58, making decisions. We do it the right way. God says, verse 11, Isaiah 58, I will guide you continually. We can call on God. We have decisions to make. We spend a little time fasting. We have confidence in the Creator. He will direct us. He will guide us. He doesn't send us emails. That's not happened yet. But He works out circumstances. And it always works out for the good when we take the time to look to the Creator for guidance, gentle correction along the way. So we are in training, at least the way I think of it, Training for leadership, the firstborn 
family of God designated for leadership. The only ones in the entire eventual family of God who have been fully trained in Satan's world. In the millennium, Satan's God. Except for a little time at the end. In the second resurrection, Satan's not around. And yet God expects us, wants us to prosper even in Satan's world. That is advanced training. And we have to recognize that. Difficult training, advanced training, training for leadership in the family of God and the kingdom of God. So today we're going to look at that training to a degree to literally become king under the king of kings in the millennium. We're in training. Title, prepare to be king. That's our life goal and preparation. And we know in our everyday mundane life, with all our individual failures, our difficulties, our trials, it's easy to think, how could I ever be king? How could I ever rule over people? I've struggled in this life. I've made my share of mistakes. Maybe I've simply been an employee or a homemaker or an everyday housewife, so to speak. I've never done anything great. I've had trouble ruling myself at times, much less others. How could I ever be king? Well, brethren, we know that God is not calling the supposed great of the world, the mighty, the self-starters, the charismatic, and all the rest. And we know 1 Corinthians tells us very clearly, However, we speak wisdom among those who are mature, yet not the wisdom of this age, and not the rulers of this age, who are coming to nothing. 1 Corinthians 2.6. You get that? The mighty, the rulers of these nations are coming to nothing in spite of their ego, their power, maybe their vanity. In the end, they're going to be replaced. They're going to have to do the same thing you and I are doing, that is change, repent, probably in a second resurrection. It's going to have to occur. The rulers through the ages have simply not shown us how to rule. They've not been the example for us to follow. They and their regimes will come to nothing, as God's words state. They will come to nothing. It always ends in failure. And in a future time, they will have to humble themselves. You know, think how difficult it will be for the high and the mighty, you know, the, the egotistical, the vain, the proud, the powerful, to realize in a second resurrection, so to speak, they have no power, no authority, They are simply themselves, nothing more. No wealth, no power, no authority. Just an average human being is going to have to change. Every knee will bow at some point in time. Romans 14, 11. Maybe we'll start there. Romans 14 and 11. It's a key reminder that everyone's going to have to go through the same process, just at different times. Romans 14... And verse 11, 14-11, For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, the Eternal, every knee shall bow to me. Every single living human being and every tongue shall confess to God. No more evolution, the false god of evolution. Evolution is a false religion. Without any logic, it is a satanic religion to explain a creation without a creator. Incredible stupidity. We're going to probably laugh with human beings in the millennium how naive most people were way back then. They thought they were smart. They thought they were intelligent. They were so naive. You know, they would believe mythology, that organization, beautiful creation, plant life, human life, Animal life came by accident, genetic mutation, a roll of the dice, incredibly ignorant and naive. What a blessing it is for us to have the opportunity to be a part of the future. You know, not not the past, even though we have a past, but a part of the future, the coming kingdom of God as kings. Now, there is a king of kings, 
But of course, as we heard earlier, there are also kings, lesser kings. King of kings, Jesus Christ. Revelation 5.10 speaks about our goal for the firstborn, for the firstfruits who become firstborn. Revelation 5 and verse 10, and it states, speaking of God and our agenda in this life, to be found worthy to escape all these things are going to come to pass and to stand before the great God alive at his return and have made us kings and priests to our God and we shall reign on the earth. Now that's a responsibility, wouldn't you say? As kings administering the government of God on the planet as kings and priests teaching the law of God to a rebellious, rejectionist humanity to everyone on the planet. That sounds like work, but we're going to enjoy it. It's going to be a pleasure in due time. Jesus Christ will function as both king of kings and chief priest. He will be the chief priest of priests, both offices, and so will we. That will be our function as well, kings and priests, administration of the government, and also tending to the also the moral education. You know, reality. I think of the truth as reality. What really exists in the universe, the laws of God, is all part of that truth. And you and I have comparatively rigorous training in Satan's world. And we all know that. We've all experienced it. To eventually to be coronated a literal, powerful spirit, king. Yes, God's intent for us is to be crowned, not figuratively, but literally. Remember Christ implored us to hold fast what you have. Let no one take your crown. Let no one take your position. There's limited positions. It's not unlimited. If it was unlimited, God would be calling the world. But it is limited. He is training us for leadership the week of the world. We don't deserve it. We haven't earned it. We're not the better people of earth, and that's the reason we're invited, called. Many are called. Christ said few are chosen, even though they're called. That doesn't necessarily mean they're done for. That simply means they've blown their chance to be firstborn in the family of God. Hold fast what you have. Let no one take your crown. Revelation 3, chapter 3, and verse 11. And that will be a tremendous responsibility. And you know, it's not just a responsibility. It is an awesome privilege. You know, we'll feel, at least I think we will, a little bit of weight. It's a responsibility, but it is an awesome privilege to be able to work with people. Eventually, to work with people who are receptive. Not to start with, but we'll get there. Receptive, they want to know more. Eventually, eventually becoming like sponges who want to learn. We're not critics. Many people today we run into are semi-critics. They haven't fully proven things yet. And, of course, that time is coming when every last human being will acknowledge the creator of the universe. Revelation chapter 2 and, and verse 26. Revelation chapter 2 and verse 26. And it says, And he, chapter 2, verse 26, And he who overcomes and keeps my works until the end, the end of this age, to him will I give power over the nations. Verse, <clears throat> well, power over the nations. Verse 27, I wanted to go there. And he shall rule them with a rod of iron. You know, initially with authority. But it will become loving authority. Uh, we want to see them succeed, and they'll soon know that. You know, it's, it's that inherent desire to see others succeed. And those who rebel, quite frankly, tough love. And they should be dashed to pieces like the potter's vessel. That tends to apply uh, what will transpire during the day of the Lord and the re- rebellious ones as well. It seems to be, again, a pretty heavy responsibility 
Don't you think, as Joe average or Joette average human beings, uh, the weak of the world, some wonder how how could I ever rule over a nation or a city? We haven't had that kind of training, have we, in the skills, those kinds of things in this life, have we? Oh yes, we have. <laughs> Uh, we're getting that kind of training now. Not necessarily, I mentioned skills, but not necessarily in skills, but in character, the mind that God needs to rule the planet. So we haven't had the skills of a king as an administrator, but we know those skills will be learned so rapidly. We have very powerful spirit minds, no longer this brain that tends to forget. Eventually, with total recall, Incredible. I'm looking forward to it. I would like to have better recall. You know, instantaneous, total recall. We can be so effective, so much more effective with that kind of recall. History, our own life experiences. You know, let me tell you about the time I kind of messed up. I gave you an example. And then, and then let me tell you about the time I applied the laws of God, what I was being taught, and the success that I had because of it. Incredible. You know, we're on the front row, so to speak, seeing both worlds. And we can have a, a great testimony. Been there, done that, and we can lovingly show them God's way. I once heard an older lady say, Oh, I could never be king. I don't want to rule. <laughs> I don't want to rule. Maybe a little bit of humility or false humility. I don't want to rule cities or nations. I just want to make it. I just want to be there. Incredible. That misses the entire point of what God is doing with us. We are not in training for eternal retirement. Okay? There's going to be no welfare check or Social Security check in the sky. It's not retirement. It's, it's having the capacity to share, to teach God's way of life, to help others enter the family. That's, that should be our great fulfillment, it will be our great fulfillment to see others succeed under our care, like our own family, but not genetically, but spiritually, our own family, spiritually. In many ways, we can think of training to be king in the sense that it parallels the life of David in Israel. There is a very close parallel with what we experience and what David experienced. So let's take a look at the process quickly that ancient King David... The man after God's own heart that he went through to qualify for kingship. We remember that after Saul was rejected by God, that God set about choosing a future king of Israel. And you'll remember that in spite of Saul's imposing stature and his appearance, he was a head taller than everyone else as well. He looked like a king, at least what the world would think looked like a king. But he was sadly lacking in character, the kind of heart, the kind of character that the great God was looking for. So instead, God, through Samuel, was led to anoint what some would say was the least likely choice of the sons of Jesse. Last in the line, maybe the least likely choice. David wasn't tall and imposing. He was a little brother, right, after tending the flocks the youngest of the group, the lonely watch of tending the flocks. And David wasn't skilled in kingship. He wasn't even, at least to probably his own family, his father, uh, he was probably considered the least likely to be king. God instructed Samuel that he had made his choice among the sons of Jesse. Let's turn to First Samuel. First Samuel chapter 16. And verse 5. So Samuel is talking to uh, Jesse, and he states in, in verse 5 of 1 Samuel, and he said, Peaceably, I come to sacrifice to the Lord. Sanctify yourselves, you know, clean up yourselves, and come with me to the sacrifice. And then be consecrated. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. So Samuel's meeting with Jesse and his sons. Verse 6, So it was when they came 
that he looked at Eliab and said, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. So Eliab, probably the oldest, he probably looked the part, uh, maybe firstborn, more accomplished, maybe, as well. But, of course, notice again how God responded to Samuel. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance or at his physical stature, because I have refused him, for the Lord does not see as man sees. That was mentioned earlier. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. An incredible experience happening here. God knew the nature of David, who was a teenager at that time. God looks at the heart, not necessarily in an advanced age, your experience and skills, but at at the heart. Jesse, in turn, made six sons come before, six more sons before Samuel. And verse 7, we read verse we read verse 7, uh, and then on from there in verse 8 and 9. So more sons appear, and eventually, you know, God explains through Samuel that they weren't being chosen for kingship. And, of course, in verse, uh, verse 10, Jesse made the seven of his sons pass before Samuel, and Samuel said to Jesse, Lord has not chosen these. And Samuel said to Jesse, Are all the young men here? And he said, There remains yet the youngest, and there he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, Send and bring him, for we will not sit down till he comes here. And, of course, he came. So he went and brought him in. Now, he was ruddy with bright eyes and bushy-tailed. Well, I guess he was okay, good-looking. And the Lord said, Rise, anoint him, for this is the one. Now, David wasn't tall and imposing, but God chose the least likely probably among the family, at least maybe from the, even the father's standpoint. Can't, can't we all somewhat identify with this? Many of us, even first generation, come from families. Maybe perhaps other siblings had higher IQ. <laughs> Uh, as well, perhaps they were they were more highly organized than we are. Perhaps they were better looking, maybe better personality, gregarious, and all the rest. Photographic memory. I'd really like to have that, but it wasn't dealt me, unfortunately. But it will be. Times time will come, and each one of us specifically are called, invited, and chosen. Those who have received God's Spirit, that is. We are chosen to be king under Christ in the millennium. What would our families think outside the church say to this, that we're called to be king? Do you imagine they'd kind of laugh? (laughs) What would our co-workers uh, that we've had think? They'd probably say, you got to be kidding, okay? Well, what would our families, I know my wife and I, what what would our... Our siblings, you know, all six of our siblings, my wife and I, and our parents when they're resurrected, what would they say? They'd probably, they'd probably think the same way. You know, they're just, that doesn't make sense. What does God even himself indicate about choosing us? What does he say? Well, you know the scripture. For you see your calling, brethren, not many wise according to the flesh, Not many mighty, not many noble are called or invited. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise, they think they are, to some degree. And God has chosen the weak things of the world. That's, you know, we can be happy we're not the high and the mighty. God has chosen us to put to shame the things which are mighty. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26 and 27. So God looks at the heart. He has chosen us to become spiritual leaders in God's family on planet Earth, not based on human accomplishments, but based on our willingness with God's help to develop character 
and the heart of a king. So we should never underestimate what God can accomplish in our life individually, as insignificant as the world may think of us, as insignificant as the world may consider our potential. Don't second-guess the great God. If we doubt that we can develop the qualities, the character of a king, that is with God's help, not without. With God's help, we're doubting God's promises. We're doubting our calling. We're doubting our being chosen to receive God's Spirit. With God, all things are possible, not of our own self. God chose us for a reason, so we all need to live up to our calling to be kings and priests. And in David's case, he was quite young when he was first anointed, called by God, anointed by Samuel to be king. For Samuel 16... In verse 13, And Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of the brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel arose and went to Ramah. You know, we see in Scripture that according to Old Testament Numbers, chapter 1, verse 3, for example, in ancient Israel, all males 20 and over, were expected to go to war. Of course, the Israelites were at war against the Philistines. And when David later killed Goliath, he was not old enough to be at war. So he was a teenager. How old? Probably middle to late late teens. Perhaps uh, 15 to 18, somewhere in there. In the very next chapter, he is called a youth. In the very next chapter. So God recognize this youth, his heart, his mindset, his willingness, and chose him, anointed him to be king. And to the youth among us, children and youth, notice in this particular case that David was a teenager when God ordered Samuel to anoint him. God already noticed David as a teenager. Same story for Mary. Mother of Christ, the human mother, probably similar age when God chose her to be the actual the mother and somewhat the, the teacher at home of Jesus Christ. God knows the choices that we make in our life, even as teens. God rejoices when you've chosen to be honest, to be respectful to your parents, to actually listen in church. <laughs> To read your Bible somewhat, to talk to God in prayer, communicate like He's talked to Him like He's a real being. I would encourage our children and teens to listen to the promise that God has offered and really a challenge for future kings. That's Deuteronomy 30 and verse 19. Deuteronomy 30 and verse 19. I think this was the. Uh, one of the favorite verses of my wife to our children growing up. Kind of the challenge. In verse 19, I call heaven and earth as witness today against you or with you or for you that I have set before you life, full life, even potentially eternal life, and death. That's the other choice. You want to go the way of the world? Go. Blessing, this way of life works, no doubt about it. And cursing, meaning penalties for disobedience. Therefore, choose life. It's the only sensible choice that both you and your descendants may live, meaning that you'll, you'll live a productive life, that you'll potentially live eternally, that you've got a better future. Well, you do have, at whatever age, Difficulties, fears, insecurities, problems to work through, great question marks in your life, you know, unknowns in the years ahead. But God is there for you. And that's true for all of us. If you obey Him, He notices, just like young teen David and Mary as well. Well, back to uh, David's calling and his anointing. Even though David was anointed king, 
as a teen. Years went by, and he did not become king. He had a comparatively difficult, rough life, even though he was anointed to be king. And he had to exist, and I'll I'll mention at least part of that difficulty, until he was age 30. And all those years he waited. He had a very difficult life of training, which lasted, who knows, 12 to maybe 15 years. He was anointed king, but he wasn't king. We know the story how Saul turned on David and for years tried to hunt him down, have him killed. That was a trial. You know, trekking through the wilderness, so to speak, the mountains of Judea. There's not a whole lot of hiding places when we were there a few years ago. Maybe some brush, a few trees, not many, and a few caves. And David had his ups and downs in those difficult years after he was chosen to be king on his way to the throne, some difficult situations, and he had to get his priorities straight for God to follow through in, a, in his life in the way he wanted to follow through. He had to remain faithful to his God during those rigorous years of training to become king. Hopefully none of us have ever had our own father-in-law try to chase us down and kill us. You know, that that would be a trial. I know uh, my father-in-law was disappointed in me, uh, kind of somehow leading uh, his daughter away from, as he saw it, as the truth. But he never tried to kill me. And that's something that uh, hopefully none of us have ever experienced. But that was David's lot, anointed to be king, and his father-in-law is trying to kill him. Well, hopefully, again, we haven't experienced that. But David found a way to remain faithful through those latter teen years and his 20s. He vigorous, rigorous years of training. What has God said about this very unique period of training for the kingdom for us? Well, I'd like to think uh, what Peter had to say in First Peter, First Peter chapter 3, First Peter chapter 1, rather, in verse 3, 1 Peter 1, verse 3, and Peter said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope, you know, personally a hope for the future in our own life, a better world, through the resurrection of, Christ, of Jesus Christ from the dead, He was resurrected, we can be too, to an inheritance incorruptible, the make will inherit the earth, and later the universe. An undefiled that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. And we're approaching it. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. We could say it's part of your training. It's part of my training to be king. That the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise and honor and glory at the resurrection, at the revelation, rather, of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen, you love. Though now you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy, inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your lives, eternal life. Incredible. Well, the road to the throne can be long and bumpy, as David experienced as we experience today, from the, particularly from the time of baptism, when we are anointed by God's Spirit to be king, kings and priests. But there's an end to the road. The road doesn't go on forever. Training in this life is cut short. Our journey in our everyday life is fraught with a lot of difficulties, isn't it? It is Satan's world. We have all these tests we have to pass. 
tests are good for us. I often thought in college if I didn't have any tests, I might not, I might have not studied as much as I should have. But we have tests. They're good for us. We have trials as well. Some people fail us on occasion. Life's not always fair. We can't demand fairness. Old age creeps up on us. We can't reverse that in this life. Accidents, sickness, sometimes loved ones die, and yet this is not the end. It's only a brief period of training. Period of training. That's all life is. Simply training in the stream of eternity. You know, towards the end of Paul's life, he also spoke of the crown meaning of kingship, that he would receive at the end of his training, the first resurrection. Notice how Paul referred to this training as a fight. You know, it wasn't in cruise control. It was a fight. I think we could all identify with that. It's not just smooth sailing for a reason. Again, we're being trained for kingship, for leadership. Second Timothy 4. 2 Timothy 4 and verse 7. Verse 7, 2 Timothy 4. So notice Paul's struggle. And later in life he said, I have fought the good fight. And it is a fight. We have to admit that. We know that. I have finished this race. The race doesn't go on forever. I have kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness as a literal member of the God family, of the Elohim family. Can I use a biological term, a different species than not human beings, not angels, not animals, but Elohim, junior God beings. Incredible. It's laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day. And not to me only, but also to all those who have loved his appearing. The true God, the true Jesus Christ, the way of life. Through many years of David's training to be king, he learned patience. You know, he he was anointed king, and it didn't happen. It didn't happen, at least right away. And he learned trust. The trust in God, in God's time schedule, no matter how bad things got. And that patient came with a long wait through those many difficult years between being anointed as king, as a young teenager, and at the age of 30, when he finally became king. For all these many years, some of which were in exile with the Philistines, And his father-in-law trying to track him down, wanting to do him in, hunt him down. His competition, incredible. Wow. You know, how how would you like your father-in-law trying to track you down? My son-in-law, Rob McNair, is not here, but I'm sure he would not like me to kind of try to track him down and do him in like David's father-in-law. But think about that. God knew the heart of David. Incredible. We can be known by our, our our character, our intent, our will, our desire, even as a teenager. You know, we don't have to be seventy for God to recognize that potential within us. Well, I think humanly, as things unfolded and got worse and worse, I'll describe it in a moment. David could have thrown in the towel, said, "Look, I was anointed king, and I'm not." What's happening? God hasn't done anything for me, at least at the moment, related to being king. Well, he didn't. He had been anointed by Samuel. And, of course, we would say, might say, what had it gotten him? But a lot of trouble, a lot of stress, a lot of difficulty. He had a pretty rough life. There was even a time when David with his men in exile, in a foreign country among the Philistines, when things had... He was being chased by Saul. Things went from bad to worse. It sometimes happens. David and his men at one point in time were three days ride from the Philistines. He had a meeting with the Philistines, chieftains, 
and they kind of rejected David's help, and they trekked three days back home, three hard, rough days back home, and they arrived on the scene weary, dead tired, hungry. They were back at Ziklag. It's kind of their hometown for the moment, a small town. They were anxious to see their their wives and children and home and a good meal. And upon their arrival in Ziklag, to their horror, they discovered their homes had been burned to the ground. Smoke was still rising. Even worse, their wives and children were gone. They had been taken captive. What a horrendous day. Scripture states, they wept till they could weep no more. Have you ever been there? Uh, I haven't quite been there, but they wept until they could wept wept no more. There was no strength left in them. And things, you would say, things couldn't get worse, right? Wrong. (laughs) David's men, some of David's men decided David was the problem, and they decided it was time to kill their leader. And, of course, that didn't happen. David's trusted men. They were about ready to stone him, stoning David to death. Back to 1 Samuel. Back to 1 Samuel, chapter 30 and verse 3. Samuel 30 and verse 3. So David and his men came to the city, and there it was, burned with fire. And their wives and their sons and their daughters had been taken captive. And David and the people who were there with him lifted up their voice, and they wept until they they had no more power to weep. They were spent. And David's two wives, Ahinoam, the Jezreelitess, and Abigail, the widow of Nabal, the Carmelite, had been taken captive. Now, David was greatly distressed. You can imagine. For the people spoke of stoning him because the soul of all the people were grieved, every man for his sons and daughters. Incredible. And he was still anointed to be king. You know, instead of turning back, turning his back on God, if some would, you know, What a load of woe this has brought me, David could have been thinking. David did something amazing. Scripture says he renewed his faith and his confidence in the great God. Verse 6. Verse 6, last part. It says, "In, in that time of crisis, but David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. That's the New King James. King James says David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. You know, he turned to God in confidence. Things couldn't have gotten any worse than they were, but he turned to God. Despite the homes being burnt to the ground, wives and children taken astray, men turning against him left and right, David encouraged himself. David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. And of course, You and I can do what David did. Sometimes we face difficulties, maybe not that severe, but we have the same pattern. We are in training to be king. We're not king. At the time of baptism, we were anointed to be king, at least with God's Spirit, but we've had a rough life. In most cases, it hasn't been. It's been in Satan's world, and we can strengthen ourselves. We can encourage ourselves in our God. Well, that was something David learned. God always keeps his promises. Soon thereafter, soon thereafter, Saul was killed in battle. And, of course, you know, David was recognized as king. God always keeps his promises. And that's something that David learned firmly over those many years, even in exile, you know, after he had been chosen to be king, all those years where he wasn't king, for you and myself, you and me, we're training to be king, to reign with Jesus Christ at his return. But we're not king. This is not kingship in our life yet. We're still in training. 
There's still more ahead of us. We're not finished with our training. But God always keeps His promises. We just have to focus on our future, on our training to be king, training in godly character, so fundamental, the heart to be king. Well, finally, when we have finished our fight, when we have completed the race as Christ returns, we will be with Him, as we see in Scripture, after the wedding, after the coronation, descending to the Mount of Olives, as we've already heard. At that time, the work of God just really gets rolling. The work of God is not over. It's just in another gear. It's going to be an exciting time. We'll be placed over various cities or regions according to what we've done in this life, primarily what we've done with our character, with our self-control, with our overcoming. It's far more than just being baptized and knowing the truth. That's only the first baby step. It has to do with a lifetime of change through the years after we have been anointed to be king. Revelation 22, verse 12. Revelation 22 and verse 12. Christ says we don't have all day, we don't have forever. He says in, in chapter 22, verse 12, And behold, I am coming quickly, at least from your perspective. You know, none of us are going to expect be looking at our watch you know, in our own life, uh, it will come quickly. And he says, my reward, he doesn't mean his own personal reward, he, he means his reward for you is with me to give to everyone according to his work. That's twofold, what his work has been, his effort, overcoming, changing, growing, and according to what his work will be, whatever we have qualified for in the kingdom of God, in the government of God, in the family of God. And we're basically speaking of character, not skills. That'll come later. You know, that kind of work with our reward, it will be work. It will still be work, but never tiring, never running out of energy like I do now, and maybe you do sometimes. I'm looking forward to not spending a third of my life unconscious, okay? Okay, that's good for now, but it's a, it'll be a waste of time in the future. Not going to happen. So much more productive, energetic. And we, we will not lock, lack for energy. We humans do, particularly as we grow a little older. You know, the mitochondria don't function at the same level. That powerhouse, hundreds of them within every cell. We don't need mitochondria anymore. That's that's gone. I know there are times when I wake up and I feel like I'm more tired than when I wake up than when I went to bed. What's the deal? Yeah, that'll be a thing of the past when you're when you're fully a spirit being. A huge job cut out for us, but as powerful spirit-born sons of God, a pleasure rather than a struggle. A pleasure. We could go on and on describing different aspects of what it will be like, but suffice it to say that it will become extremely rewarding, the most absorbing, fulfilling, rewarding job as kings and priests. And as you oversee the development of your area, whatever responsibility you're given, you will be emotionally and spiritually attached to the people you're working with, the human beings, like your own children. They'll not be genetically your own children, but they'll be closer in a way, spiritually, like your own children, and you'll develop a sense of pride in what is being accomplished through your direction. When you see them succeed, that's where the fulfillment, that's where the greatest blessing is. You see others succeed under your guidance, loving direction, your care and concern, they recognize you directly. Like we find in Micah chapter 4, verse 5, a very insightful scripture about how things will function in the millennium. We're all kings and priests at that time. But the scripture says, for all people 
will walk, we're talking about human beings, each in the name of his God, little g, that's each of us. They'll recognize us because we are face-to-face often with them. We're their local leader. Of course they'll recognize Jesus Christ in Jerusalem, but they will identify closely with us. They'll walk in the name of their God, small g, but we... Firstborn sons of God, kings and priests, will walk in the name of the Lord our God, Elohim, Jesus Christ in Jerusalem forever and ever. You see the tiered structure. We're being trained to be firstborn in the family, a very few in number. God only needs a few. It's not like he's in a struggle and can't get more people converted. Not the, not the situation. God's going to have exactly what he needs for leadership in his family. Then eventually comes the second born in the millennium, a great number. But that's going to be overshadowed by the third born in the second resurrection. Billions of human beings eventually, most of whom will enter the family of God. So since we will work closely with thousands of people and their descendants, they will be like our children. They will look to Jesus Christ, of course, as their Savior, their Creator, the King of Kings, their High Priest. But they will also closely identify with us, personally, as a loving local king. After all, you are their personal representative of the God family. They identify with you. And you will oversee, potentially, your own descendants that aren't already a part of the God family, perhaps surviving children, maybe grandchildren, your extended family who live into the millennium. Even if you've never had children of your own, you'll likely would still have other extended family members to oversee and work with if they live into the millennium. In all this, you will get a sense of satisfaction and joy as you see, some of the happiest, most stable families that have ever existed, even more so than us, more stable, more happy than even we have been in Satan's world, and they will develop under your guidance, and you will be their loving teacher, godly ruler, and king. Your own development will continue. It doesn't end in this life. It's some training to be king, but we've got so much more to learn. There will be growth, of course. There will be much to learn. Constant communication with headquarters in Jerusalem. Seminars bringing us up to speed. So much I want to know. And we'll be filled in at that time. And we may, I assume personally, have opportunities to speak to the king of kings himself. And the firstborn family is relatively small. What an experience. What an incredible experience. Jerusalem, the headquarters of the government of God on earth, it will in time dazzle you. But you'll also have the opportunity to visit the rest of the earth. Why not? When that environment is totally cleaned up, the planet eventually will become like the crown jewel of God's creation. And that's just during the millennium and the second resurrection. Just just wait until the heavenly headquarters city of New Jerusalem descends to the planet. Headquarters of the universe no longer tethered, no longer tethered to the sun or need for the moon. And of course then my assumption is it doesn't no longer circles the sun then. Kind of like the portable headquarters of the universe, wherever God wants to take it at that time. So as a a spirit being, you won't be restricted to your one location. Human beings still sleep eight hours on the planet under your direction, eight hours a day, and you'll have many others assisting you. We know about angels created to be our servants as well. Why not see the rest of the planet, for starters, as you have the opportunity nighttime hours in your air, whatever. Maybe parts of other parts of the universe. I don't know. We'll, we'll see. 
So the bottom line is that you will enjoy a thousand years, the most thrilling, rewarding job you could ever experience. None of us have experienced that type of fulfillment. And as the years go by, you'll have the excitement, the satisfaction of seeing thousands of individuals, maybe eventually millions, of other human beings, including your own descendants, entering the God family in due time and being placed under loving authority. So as firstborn son, a king, and a priest, for each of us, firstborn sons, as the family, kings and priests, the sky is the limit of what God has in mind for his family, eventually expanding it throughout the universe, but that's another story for another day. So if we remember in the remaining years of our physical life, let's remember what we've experienced is merely training. That's all it is. As Paul said, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. Whatever we've lost, whatever we've experienced, setbacks, health, it's nothing. Flash in the pan. Seems like quite a few quite a few years, but in hindsight it'll be it'll be like fog. Like today. Fog was on the lake when we got up, couldn't see hardly see the lake, and it quickly evaporated and, and the lake was clear. That's kinda like life. It's so brief and evaporates. And of course we move on. I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ, Philippians 3.9, meaning Christ, the fullness of Christ, becoming a literal brother of Christ, not make-believe, not figurative, but actual junior brother of Christ, same father, the same genetics, not physical genetics, but spiritual genetics. Also, as Paul encouraged us, may the God of all grace who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus after you have suffered a while. However long that is, you know, you've been through difficulties in a rough world. Perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. Settle at peace with joy. We're on the winning team. We're part of the future. 1 Peter 5.10 Well, yes, brethren, Times are difficult of our training for leadership, of our training for kingship. God is watching us. Judgment is upon the house of God. God wants to reward us. God wants to bless us with a real future. He says He will never leave us or forsake us, those who actually have His Spirit. Obviously, we have the option to leave God, but it's not a good option. It would seem like nobody in his right mind, if they understood what they were doing, would ever do that. But we can be conquerors, as Paul said, through Christ, obtaining that eternal weight of glory, ready to rule with him as kings and priests under Jesus Christ for a thousand years in that phase of the work of God. Of course, that's not the end of the good news. There's more to come. Well, brethren, hopefully... We're motivated to hang in there. We're not finished in our life. We have a little more training, a little more training to be king. Jesus Christ will return. Well done, good and faithful servant. And he will give us the reward, the crown, the position in his family at his return. And we will recognize it will have been so worth it to follow the great God and his purpose and his plan And in hindsight, it will seem like just a a wisp of eternity, a thousand or a hundred thousand years out into the future. Well, may God speed that day. We all look forward to it. That's what we're here for. Let's finish the race.